turn in your Bible to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, we are still introducing this book. We're just still on the first three verses here. Um, that's what the, the author is using these first three verses to, to really kind of give us uh, an introduction to the whole book. The theme of the book is the preemin- pre, uh, preeminence of Christ. I'll begin reading in verse 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and many ways, and these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things with the word of his power. When he had made purification of sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this precious book. We thank you for this passage. May it lift our hearts up to you. Lord, I pray that it would work its work in our life as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the author is answering for us and for his Jewish audience in this day, in his day, two questions. And we looked at the first question last week. And that first question is, where did Christ come from? Where did Christ come from? Now, not talking about his birth, not talking about where did he grow up or uh, talking about his genealogy, talking about his uh, uh, the prodigy, his lineage. Who his father was. That would be, that's the more significant question is who is this person? What gives him the credibility? And who your father is makes a difference, right? Uh, it, it made a difference to Luke Skywalker, didn't it? When you find out that Darth Vader is your father, it, it makes a difference. And it makes a difference. So they want to know. And he's asking, he's answering this question. He answers this question with one declarative statement that God has spoken. Now, there's nothing more powerful than that. The the very word of God, Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, has spoken to his creatures, his creation. And he did so through his son. In the past, he spoke to the... Uh, the people through the prophets. But in these days, in these last days, the author says, through his son. And Jesus communicated God to us. The very son of God sent to communicate the word and, and, and in word and in picture, the very nature and the very message of God. Now that's powerful. That's powerful. In Christ's disciples, he, his disciples were with him for three and a half years, and, and they then recorded these things for us. We, we see the New Testament, what Christ said. And that's special revelation. We hear from, we, we see God's creation, but we have to hear from God. We have to know what God says. There has to be special revelation. And when Christ came to the earth, though, The Jews missed it. They didn't recognize who he was. They didn't recognize the significance of what he was doing and 
they just, they just missed it. And the religious leaders, I think, of Jesus' day, they got it. They understood what was going on, but they did not want to shower, share the power that, uh, that Jesus had. They, they recognized him. I believe they recognized him, but they, they rejected him. And they'd say, well, he doesn't look kingly enough. He, he's, uh, he, he's just, he, he doesn't, he can't rule by force. He's, he's way too humble. Way too humble. Too insignificant. Too much of a, of a servant for us to, to follow him. And so the author is, is, he understands that the, the Jewish mindset, uh, is going to see Christ as a, a stumbling block. They're going to not not understand these things because they are expecting a king and he just doesn't look kingly. And so it's easy for them just to just to reject him. So the author is dismantling this idea, this stumbling block, Christ dismantling that stumbling block in their minds one idea at a time. Christ is not the problem. Christ is the solution to the problem. Sin is the problem. The corruption of man is, is the problem. Disobedience and rebellion against God, that's the problem. Not just with the Jewish world, but the rest of the world as well. Christ is preeminent. And the author is, is uh, wanting the, the audience, his audience, to understand that. So he exalts Christ. He, he promotes Christ. Christ is preeminent. And the whole book shares that, that theme. He is preeminent. He is above everything. He is above everyone. He is all power. His work is all sufficient. He is the highest of all position. The new covenant, which He has established in His blood, which we believe in, which we are in, is far better than the old covenant. Christ is preeminent. And we mentioned this last week, we, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, that that God has spoken, but you know what? Satan wants to, to pull all of the other voices that are clamoring for attention to just drown out the, the voice of God. So the question then is, who are you going to listen to? I mean, Satan is there and he's questioning. He, he's raising the same question basically that he did with Eve. Has God really said? Has God really spoken? And most people, they'll just, they just ignore it. But, but Jesus Christ is the source of, of truth. But they suppress that truth in ungodliness. And they, they just act like God has not spoken. But we know that He has spoken. And we, we take note. There are some that are going to recognize the voice of their leader. And if we want to hear God, folks, we must look at Christ and Christ's preeminence. And for the church today, the preeminence of Christ is the very cornerstone, isn't it? It's the very cornerstone of all our theology. It's the central theme of our theology. The preeminence of Christ is the, all of our, uh, other theology revolves around that central theme of the redemption of man and Christ's part of that. The preeminence. Of Christ, without preeminence of Christ, there is no Christianity. Now that just states the obvious, I know, but it's just true. Now it's a pretty bold statement. It's a pretty bold statement to say that Jesus is the God, uh, the Son of God. Now, how do you back that up? 
What, what, what criteria does he have? How do you, how do we know that Jesus is the, the Son of God? What's the DNA test? How do you verify that? And the author then leads us into this second question. The second question is this. What is his criteria? How do we know? And he gives us seven criteria, seven things within this passage that I just read for you uh, that exalts Christ, seven things that, that point to the preeminence of Christ. In all of this universe, there's none greater than Christ. And I want us to see that, and I don't want us to see it quickly. I want to see it slowly so you can examine these things. There's seven. We're going to look at one today. I don't want to go too fast. We're going to look at one. The first one in verse 2. In these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Did you get that? I don't want to go too fast. He appointed heir of all things. That is, that is tremendous. That, that's an incredible statement. He has appointed heir of all things. Notice, who is the he? It is God. God has appointed him heir of all things. Notice also, this is past tense. This is something that's already taken place. God has done this. Now, when he says this, there's one passage that's going to come to mind to the Jewish mind, the, the Jews of, of his day. And that is Psalm chapter 2. It's a messianic psalm, and it's actually a warning there, but it's a messianic psalm that, that points to the Messiah, to the, to the anointed one. So I want us to turn there and see this scene that unfolds. Psalm chapter 2. And it's a significant psalm, significant passage of Scripture. Now there's three scenes that I want us to see uh, today to, un- to help us to understand the significance of Christ receiving His inheritance or Christ's inheritance. And this first scene is Christ's inheritance is promised. Promised. Now you see that. Psalm chapter 1. Why are the nations in uproar? And the people devising a vain thing. The kings of the earth take their stand. And the rulers take counsel together. Now you see the pattern here. The nations, they're in uproar. The people, they're, they're devising vain things. The kings... Of the earth, they're, they're taking their stands. They're in a, a posture of war. The rulers, you've got nations, peoples, kings, rulers, and they're, they're taking counsel together. So they've got a plan. We're going to war. We're going to fight this. What's the problem? The end of verse 2. Against the Lord and His anointed one. Against the Lord and His anointed one. That anointed one is the Messiah. Every Jew would have understood and known this passage. This is a significant passage because it's, this is a messianic psalm talking about the Messiah to come. And what's the problem? It's against the Lord and against His Messiah. Verse 3 explains the problem to us. Let us tear their fetters Fetter or, or leather straps. They feel confined. They feel restrained. Let us tear the fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. Now, what's that talking about? I like the 
new uh, international version here it says let us break their chains and throw off their shackles they feel like slaves and the reality what they're saying here is we will not have this man we will not have god ruling over us he is not going to rule us with his righteousness we are not going to listen to his commands anymore we're not going to be uh, let him be our king we, we don't want his morals. We don't want his ethics. We don't want his manners. We don't want his holiness being forced on us. We reject all of that. That's what's going on. So what's God's response to that? Is in verse 4. He who sits in the heavens the laughs. To, to God, the nations are just a drop in the bucket. They're nothing to God. And the Lord scoffs at them, verse 5. Then He will speak to them in His anger and terrify them in His fury, saying, But as for me, I will, I will install my king. God doesn't answer to anyone. We can't manipulate God. We can't connive so that we can get our king on the throne. God says, I will establish my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. God is the one in control. God is the one in charge here. No one's going to, all of the nations of the earth, all of the people of the world are not going to uh, come against God and change his mind. I will establish my king, he says. And who is that? Well, that's his anointed one. That's the Messiah. That's the one to come. That's the second person of the, the Trinity. That is Christ himself. Look at verse... This is... I want you to, to imagine here. This is... Um, the, the picture that we should be picturing here is a presidential inauguration kind of thing. That, that would be the closest that we would have today. That, that we're installing a new president here. And this president is having the opportunity to, to share, to speak. And, and that's where then verse uh, 7 comes in. Christ then uh, interjects here. And he responds, the second person of the Trinity. And he, he makes this decree. Or, or he's re- responding to God's decree. In verse six, he, or verse 7 he says, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, now this is Christ speaking, the, the uh, anointed one speaking, that, that God is putting him as the king, installing him into this position. He says, I will surely tell you the decree of the Lord. So, so the Lord has told me the decree, and I'm going to tell you that decree. And here's what it is. Here's what it is. He said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten thee. You are my son. Today I have begotten thee. Now this isn't begotten uh, as in this is the first time that Christ was, was ever born or anything like that. This has more to do with um, his position than, than anything else. He's installing him. That would be a, the, the appropriate translation. Today I, I install you as the king. You are now the ruler here. And it says... It goes on in verse 8. Ask and I will... Now, this is the decree of the Lord. The Lord is still speaking. Christ is telling us what the Lord has told him. Ask and I will 
surely give the nations of your as your inheritance. Now, there's our key word, right? That connects us back to the, the book of Hebrews, this inheritance. Where does this inheritance come from? What is this inheritance? And the very ends of the earth as your possession. What's the inheritance? The very ends of the whole universe. It, it's all yours. You just ask and it's, and it's all yours. And then you get a warning here in verse 9. You shall break them with a rod of iron. So this is God telling uh, Christ, here's what your here, here's your command, here's what you are to do as as king, you are to break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter their earthenware. Now, here's advice for us. Look at verse 10. Now therefore, O kings, this is the kings of the earth, show discernment. Think about what you're doing here. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the sun. In fact, literally, just kiss the sun. Do homage to the sun. You better elevate Christ. You better put Him as preeminent. He is now the King of this universe. That he not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is soon kindled. How blessed. Now this is so good. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. That's Christ. Folks, that's a magnificent passage. It's an incredible passage. This passage would have come to mind, to the Jewish mind at this time. This was the installation service and his inheritance, this king that's going to take the throne, his inheritance is, is the whole universe. That's a, it's an amazing thing. Now, so the Jews rightly expected a king, right? You, you have to have a, a king. There has to be someone to rule the nations and, and to put down this rebellion against God. Someone has to, has to come first and uh, conquer sin, really, in the hearts of man. Has to conquer the, the uh, prince of the power of this air, the Satan who is in control of this world. He has to crush uh, or, or uh, break the, the curse of this earth. He has to overcome death. Christ can do that. There, there needs to be a conqueror. And the Jewish mind knew that. They knew that uh, someone strong, some conquering king had to come along and take care of, dismantle the, the pride in the human heart and, and conquer that in all of the, the kings of this earth. But the spiritual world had to be conquered first. The spiritual world had to be conquered. And that was Christ's first visit, Right? He came. He accomplished that. He came as a, a lamb. They missed it. They didn't see the, the king in him. They, they didn't see the, the, the he, he, they saw a suffering servant, a, a, a savior, but, but nothing more. No ruling element here. Let me give you another scene here. Now just bear with me. This other scene is in Revelation chapter 5. Here's another scene. And this scene takes place in heaven. And again, it, it's concerning the inheritance of Christ. Revelation chapter 5. and verse 1. Passage that was read for us earlier by Joey. Chapter 5 verse 1. And I saw in 
the right hand, now all the focus is right there, this right hand of him who sits on the throne. That's God himself in his right hand, the power, the hand of power, a book. Everything's focused on that book. Now, what is that book? Everything's focused on, it, literally a scroll written inside and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. Now, a scroll you would have opened up like this, right? Not not like a book, but you would have opened it. You would have un, unrolled that scroll. And inside there would be writing. But this was completely full. Even on the back side, it was, it was written. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? So what is this book? This book, this book is the title deed of the universe. This book is, is the deed to the earth. The deed to the earth. And there's a proclamation by this strong angel. Who's, who's able to take the title deed of the earth? Who, who can recapture the earth back from Satan and sin and death and the curse and all that's, all that's there? Who could do that? Verse three. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. No one could do that. No one could do it. No one was worthy. You would have to, to be able to conquer Satan. You would have to be able to conquer sin and overcome the world and the corruption that's in this world. It would be like a, a mayor running for a office and, and him saying, vote for me. I'll, I'll, I'll take this city back. From all of its crime, all of this uh, sin, all of the things that are going on. Nobody was able to do that. Nobody was able to do that. Verse 4, then I began to weep. This is John. He's recording this for us. This scene in heaven. It says, then I began to weep greatly. No one was found worthy to open the book and to look at it. He, he He was broken. This is a, a reality that is crushed because we're stuck in this situation. No one can conquer sin. No one can relieve us from this situation. The power of Satan over our life. Man has been, he was supposed to have power, but Satan usurped that and now he's the power. And nobody, it's hopeless. Completely hopeless. Verse five. I love verse five. He says, and one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Don't be a crybaby. <laughs> Behold the lamb. The lamb is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David. That, that's Israel. He, he's got the right stock. The tribe of the root of David has overcome so as to open the book and to release its seal. He, he's already accomplished it. He's already done it. That, that work has, has been done. Don't cry. And he was the only one who is able to do that. He's the only one. That's why Jesus can say, rightfully say, I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. No one can open the seal. Nobody can control and, and conquer sin and Satan and death and the grave. Nobody could do that except Except Christ. And look, look at Christ. Verse 12, verse 6. Then I saw between the throne with the four and living creatures and the elders a lamb 
standing as if slain, meek and humble. You can see that. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Nobody else was worthy to do that. No one else could do that. Christ goes right up, has the boldness to take that book out of the right hand of the the majesty on high. He was able to take it up. Now look at the response. And he came and he took the book from the right hand, verse 8. And when he had taken the book, four living creatures of the 24 elders fell to fell down before the Lamb, each one holding harp and gold. This is, these are instruments of worship. and fell in and, uh, full of incense. These are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, and here's their song. This is worship, folks. This is real worship. They, they have fallen to their, the ground in worship because this is profound. Worthy are you to take the book. You, he is worthy. He's, he's the only one that can do it. And to break the seal. For you were slain and purchased. Okay, with that slaying, with that death on the cross, purchase for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God. A whole new race of people here that loves God. Change their heart from within. And they will reign upon the earth. Now, that's significant. We'll come back to that. Verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them were myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. And they were saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb. Wow. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches. It's all His Riches and wisdom and, and might and honor and glory and, and blessing. Even the, the things of the earth, every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them, I heard say that this is the created stuff is, is speaking now. They're, they're all pointing to Christ. To Him be who sits on the throne and the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, this is worship, amen. And they, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Man, what a scene, huh? What a scene. It's an amazing scene. Christ is, is able to take his, his inheritance, th- this world. No one else can have it. No one else could do the work that he did. And, and folks, Paul said, just a reminder, Paul said uh, in Romans chapter 11, verse 36, he says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. It's all his anyway. To him be glory. And the application for us is, do we recognize that Messiah? Do we recognize him? Do we recognize the significance of what he did on the cross? The work that it took to, 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 to take the title deed of the earth and to claim it and to say, yes, I will take it back. I will, I will recapture that from Satan and sin and death and the grave. Have you put your trust and your faith in Him, in that Messiah? That, that has to be our application. Do, do you listen to Him? Do you believe in Him? Have you 
Turn from your own sinfulness. Recognizing that you are not worthy. You are not able to take the book. You're not able to do that. But Christ is. And we put our faith and trust in Him. Let me share with you one more. One more passage. This is Romans chapter 8. This is another scene that you need to just have in your mind. Romans chapter 8. This is a wonderful passage. Verse 16. You should be able to see it on the screen. And this is Christ. So we've seen Christ's uh, promise, his inheritance promised. Then we see him receiving this inheritance in the future someday. We see this in heaven. And the work has already been begun. It's already started. And now we see Christ's inheritance shared. And guys, you got to get this. This is so good. Chapter 8, verse 16 says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Wow. We were the ones rebelling. We were the ones that had sin in our heart. We were the ones shaking our fist and saying, We, don't, we will not have these chains bind us anymore. And now we're children of God. And if children, heirs. Now there's the key word. That's an inheritance. If you're an heir, there's an inheritance. Heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We, we come along with Christ. We're fellow heirs with Christ. Christ inherits everything, right? And if we are in Christ, a portion of that is ours. We're fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him so that we may also glor- be glorified with Him. For I consider the suffering of this present age or this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Folks, that's us. The creation, it's waiting eagerly. Who are these people? Who, Who gets this inheritance with Christ who are they? That's that's us. For the creation was subject, verse 20, creation was subject to the futility, that's the sinfulness, not willingly. It was That curse was placed upon this earth by God Himself, but because of Him who subjected it, that's God. But you know what? Even the creation, there's hope. It says, in hope. That creation is, is eagerly waiting. Who are these people? When is this thing going to happen? Verse 21 that the creation itself will be set free. That's what, that's what creation is. It, we're going to be fret, set free from this curse. Free from, the, from its slavery of corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's us. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pain of childbirth until now. That's up until this very moment. We know that it, it's still happening. Verse 23. And not only this... But we ourselves are the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan, don't we, as believers? We ourselves groan, waiting eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of this body. Now, spiritually, everything has taken place. We have been adopted. If you are part of, uh, of Christ's body, you are brought into Through faith in Jesus Christ, you're brought into the family of God. And the only thing that we are waiting for, folks, is the redemption of this sinful body. For all of that to take place, Christ is going to come back at some point, and He's going to claim. He's got the title deed already in His hand, and He's going to claim. He's going to claim the the earth as His. 
He's going to conquer sin. He's going to conquer Satan. And he's going to squelch, break the curse of this earth. And he's going to redeem even our bodies. Get rid of sin, the presence of sin. I love verse 24. He goes on to say, For in hope we have been saved. For hope that is seen is not hope. Right now, we we just live by faith. We live by faith. It's not happened yet. All we do is eagerly wait. Hope for what is already seen. Verse 25, But if we hope for what is what we do not see, that's faith, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. That's us. That's another scene. And that scene is present day, isn't it? The earth is eagerly waiting, waiting for the, the sons of the adoption uh, into Christ's family to, to be revealed. And, and the earth is, is just waiting for that to happen. Who are these people? And then we, even ourselves, we are eager to find out, eager, to, eager for that day to, to come. And we, it says we, with perseverance, we wait eagerly. Right now, by faith, we're just persevering. We're persevering. So, so that means Christ, He's conquered Satan, this world. It's just a matter of time, right? Just a matter of time. And when He comes back, He's going to give us, He's going to create a, a new heaven and a new earth. It's all going to be new before He gives it to us. And we just wait for that day. By way of application, we we see these things. We know that creation is, is waiting. And we know, even within ourselves, folks, that we are created for something greater, for, for eternity's sake. And Paul says that the suffering of this present world is, is not even to be compared to the glory that we're going to receive in heaven. And what does that mean? That we need to keep the suffering of this present world, we need to keep your problems in perspective. Right? When we compare just the, the, the silly problems that we have in this day, when we compare that with the glory to be revealed, all of our inheritance with Christ, this is nothing. We can endure this. This is, this is minor. This is little. This is small stuff. Christ said the meek will inherit the earth. <laughs> That's us. Those who are in Christ, we're, we're the humble ones. We're going to come alongside and we're going to receive the inheritance with Christ. Now, folks, this is just grace, isn't it? It's grace. We, do, is anybody worthy? No. No. This is just grace. We are part of that inheritance. We did nothing to, to earn our way into God's family. So we have to ask ourselves, how do we face, how do we face this world? With fear and trembling? No, we fear God more than, than anything else. Are we discouraged constantly? No. No, not at all. There's a, there's a joy, there's a peace in our life because we, we know the outcome. We know the redemption of this body is going to take place someday. We know that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And we're going to inherit, the, inherit that. We know that we're going to be adopted into the family of, of God. And folks, so we live with confidence. We live with hope. A faith that doesn't die. The Jews in, in his day, in, in the author's day here of Hebrews, they didn't, they didn't see the completed picture. 
They didn't see all that had to happen. We get a, we get a great view from this perspective. We, we see three scenes in, in heaven and on, uh, b- both in, in, on the earth and in heaven and in even right now. We see these scenes, uh, and, and we, we know we, we get this, but they didn't have that. They had an incomplete picture. This is Christ's inheritance. And it was given to him by the Father at a specific point in time. And, and, and he received that. He, he goes up, takes that deed of the universe out of his hands and says, I will do it. And someday, folks, he's going to come back and he's going to conquer. And sin's going to be dealt with. Satan's going to be taken care of. And we're going to be part of that inheritance. That's a high privilege, folks. That's a high privilege. We, had, we hold our heads up high because of the grace of God, because of the work of Christ. And what we say is Christ is preeminent. We give Him everything. He, he is above all. He is more important than any of us. And, and we worship Him. We fall down and we worship Him. And we thank Him for what He's done for us. Thank Him for the redemption of man. Let's pray. Father, we just thank You for the vision that we see in Scripture. We, we see this. Lord, I pray that it would sink down deep into our minds so that we live out these things, so that we see our position as being in Christ. And that's the highest of all positions. And, and we realize that we're not worthy for that. Lord, create in us a, a humbleness, a, a meekness, a, a gentleness that, that is reflective of a, a lamb that was slain. Lord, we, we just thank you for you, what you've done for us. We thank you, Lord. There's, there, there's not enough songs in the hymn book to sing your praises. Lord, I pray that we would live a life that is worthy of you and that we would glorify and honor you in every day. Just appreciation of your grace in our life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.